Thanks to be seated. Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing today? Good. Summertime, summertime. Y'all ready to get into the word? <clears throat> well, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. This summer, we're going through this little mini series. And what we're studying is questions that God asked in scripture. And today is really an interesting question because today uh, God asked this particular character in Genesis, what is your name? That's a funny question because that's what I'm going to ask you today is what is your name? And I've been doing some studying this week on uh, research of names, and it is bizarre um, how you humans work. You know, it's crazy because there's research that states that our name so identifies ourselves with our own identity that believe it or not, that uh, the majority of people that go into dentistry, guess what their name is? Not doctor, that's good, <laughs> that's great. Dentist or some derivative of den. And if you, went, they also studied that a majority of people that went into law had a some derivative of Lawrence in their name. You believe that? They also found that people tend to marry other people that have their first initial. Isn't that crazy? I know, it's stats. I don't know if that's true or not, but I would highly recommend if you start having children that you don't name them like homeless. That would probably be just to be safe. But as we think about this whole idea of name, um, what is your name? Like, not just the name that you've given, you know, like your parents gave you, but, but what is your name? So I had a friend years ago, we were traveling together and um, we were talking and I, I said, hey, can I ask you a really hard question? And she said, sure. And I said, um, can you tell me why you appear to be angry all the time? Like you seem to always be angry. And she got angry that I asked her that question. Uh, she did. And uh, so I started, I said, can I just, will you give me permission to kind of poke and prod? And uh, so she got angry, but she said, okay. And said, we began to poke and prod and eventually what came out of her mouth was, nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. In fact, she started beating the steering wheel of the car that we were riding in, and she goes, because I'm unlovable. Now, just pause for a minute there and just think about that. Uh, unloved, that, what if that was your name? What if deep down inside, the real name that you gave yourself is that you're unloved? How would that affect your life? Because every one of you has these experiences that has, that has tried to inform you about what your real name is. Because some of you have experiences where you've succeeded and some of you have experiences where you failed. Some of you have horrific experiences, and this unloved now is changed to damaged goods. Some of you have experiences where people have told you that you're stupid, that uh, you're alone because you deserve to be alone. All of us have these words that have been branded into our brain to where we've wondered if this outside world of people really are telling us the truth about who we really are. Then many of us also, uh, we've done things in our lives. 
We have done things to where we're convinced that those, these are the things that nobody can ever know about us. Because if they knew that about us, they would actually know us. And we can't let them know the real us. Some of us have done great things that you want everybody to know. And you want to wear your success and your accomplishment like, like a jacket that when you walk into a room, everybody goes, that's who you are. And we love wearing that kind of stuff and pretending that's our real name. Some of us have been in relationships where we are loved and we wear that name. And some of us have been in relationships where we've been betrayed, where we've been forgotten. What is your name? Let's, let's just play a little bit with this because this, this may give you a hint about what your real name that you call yourself is what are you going out here into the world to either unprove or to collect evidence for? Like if you're driven that you've got to make a lot of money, why? What is it that you're trying to prove or what is it that you're trying to unprove? Or you're going out here and you can never fail. You always have to succeed. Or you're the funny person at the party all the time. Or you're the person that can never be seen as getting anything wrong. Like you can never be in a situation to where it looks like you don't have it all together. What are you trying to prove or unprove? Or think about the parts of you that when somebody comes to you and says, you know what? Have you ever had this experience where somebody says, you know, I was looking at you today. And I just got to tell you, you are beautiful. And some, something inside of you says, no, I'm not. And you start giving all these reasons to why to them, well, well, you know, thanks, but that's not true. Like, what is the name inside of you that either says, I need that badly, or I don't need that at all, and you're a liar? What if God wants to pick a fight with you today? I mean, honestly, what if he wants to pick a fight with you today? That's what we're going to talk. We're going to read about Jesus, our God, picking a fight with somebody. But it may not be what you think it is. Because <clears throat> I think a lot of times when God wants to pick a fight with me, what he's trying to pick a fight with me is he's trying to get me to be better. Like, he, he's trying to come into my life and go, Randy, we've got to deal with that sin in your life. I always think that's where God wants to pick a fight with me, that he wants me to drink less, cuss less, complain less, spend less, that all Jesus is interested in is less, 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 less. But what if God is trying to pick a fight with you today about more? So I just want to set this up, and then we're going to read it. I promise we're going to get into Scripture in just a minute. Kayla, you ready? Where are you? Oh, she's over there. She's ready. All right. There's no hard names in this, I promise you. It's Genesis but what if God is like us in the sense that none of us want to fight for what's not important, typically? Like if we were walking down 12 South and we were going to the tap room for lunch and somebody walked up and pulled the gun on us and said, give me the change in your pocket or you're dead. That would probably be a no-brainer, right? <laughs> I have no change. <laughs> what's change? I don't carry change. Or let's make it a little bit more serious. Give me your phone or you're dead. Would you give them your phone? Or give me your car or you're dead. I would say, great, look, the left window doesn't open all the way and you gotta jiggle the ignition when you start it. But what if he said, give me your kids 
or you're dead. Now it's time to fight. Because finally you got something, you got to something that's so valuable to me that I, I will actually give my life for this. And what if that's what God is doing right here? Is God is getting something to the nerve that's so valuable to him that he's going, it's time to fight. And what if that is your name? The name you give yourself. So let's read the passage. This story of a guy named Jacob. And uh, he's a pretty good wrestler. I mean, he out-wrestled God. Listen to the story. So this is chapter 32, starting in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him... Okay, Kaylee, you got to stop for a second, okay? I know this is hard to listen to somebody read, but you got to hit... Let's hear what happened. After he sent them all across the stream, and he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Now, I, let's just stop and just grasp that for a second. He's all alone, and a man wrestled with him. When was the last time you were all alone, and somebody just walked out and said... It's time to wrestle. <laughs> Come on. That's funny, isn't it? Uh, Y'all aren't here in Scripture. Right? All right, can you go back and start with verse 25? When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he Yeah, touched. and let me stop you because <laughs> Jacob was 77 years old when this happened. When was the last time you talked to your grandfather and said, what did you do last night? Well, I was home alone and this guy came over and wrestled me until daybreak. Okay, sorry. So he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was, hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Then the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you. Lord, we pray now that you would take this little time in Scripture and uh, teach us. But Lord, teach our hearts, transform us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're all born into a world, and this world is constantly giving us information that we can receive as to who we really are. What our parents think, what our friends think, what society thinks, what we think. And so many of us hide the name that we really think and believe deeply inside of us. And what would happen if God came in and said, you don't have the right to name yourself? And the world doesn't have the right to name yourself. 
What if that's what's going on here, where God is wrestling with Jacob? So let me give you a little backstory of what happened. If you don't know the story, go back and read Genesis. It's fascinating. But Jacob was the twin of a guy named Esau. And Esau was born uh, like a second before Jacob. And as Esau was coming out, Jacob, as an as a newborn in the womb, had his hand on the heel of Esau, and he was the second born. And so when he came out grasping Esau's hill, Esau was the firstborn, which means he had all the privileges of the firstborn. And uh, later on, we find that, that Esau is this rugged, hairy, you know, man's man, and Jacob was more of this schemer. And in fact, he schemed Esau out of his birthright which if you can go back and read about that, uh, Jacob pulled a fast one on him. And then he tricked his father, uh, dressing up like his brother and his father was blind. And he went in and he wanted his father's blessing. And he stole Esau's blessing from him. He got his birthright, he's got his blessing. And then Esau got so angry that Esau said, I'm gonna kill you. This, this is what's gonna happen, kill you. And so Jacob uh, runs, he runs for his life. And he runs to across country to a distant relative and meets this guy and his daughters and goes, whoa, Rachel. And says, hey, Laman, I, you know what? If I stay here, I could work for you, but can I marry her? And he said, seven years. Work for me for seven years, and then you can marry her. So he works for, her, for him for seven years, and on their wedding night, <clears throat> he's all excited. He, this is the love of his life. This is Rachel, the redeemer of his soul. And the next morning he wakes up and it's not Rachel at all. It's her sister. He's been tricked. I know, how does that work? I don't know, all right, I know. <laughs> Crazy. But he goes back to his father-in-law and goes, what have you done? And he goes, seven more years and you can have Rachel. So the player is now being played. And so he plays along and he begins to pull all kinds of tricks to where he's profiting off the back of Laban and just immense wealth that he's gaining. And when he felt like he had tricked his father-in-law far enough, he said, it's time to go. And listen to how he went. Wives, <laughs> get all our kids and our family and everybody together, get all our possessions, all our herds and everything. We're leaving in the middle of the night. Laban will never know that we left. It's a crazy story because Jacob then flees for his life. And where is he fleeing to? He's fleeing back to his homeland. And who is waiting for him there? Can you guess? Esau. The last time he saw Esau was, I'm going to kill you. So let's think about this guy and what life has done to him. What, 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 has, what has it named him? He was raised by a father that didn't favor him. He was hated by his brother. He was cheated by his father-in-law. And he spent a large part of his life in a loveless marriage with a woman that he never wanted to marry anyway. And now he's running back to his brother. And guess what happens when he gets back to the land of his brother? He sent a message to Esau with a bunch of gifts. <laughs> hey, bro, remember me? <laughs> I'm rich now. Here's a lot of stuff. And the messenger came back, and all they said is, Esau is on his way with 400 men. Bum, bum, bum. And he knows, Jacob is this, this is it. Now I'm unloved and now I'm about to die. So he comes up with this crazy plan. He took his two wives, Leah and Rachel, and he said, 
And, and the hundreds that they had of family, extended family, kids, servants, the whole people said, we're gonna divide you into two groups. Listen to how desperate he's getting. And here's the plan, everybody. Y'all are gonna go over there, and Rachel, you take your clan and you go over there, and when Esau shows up, he's gotta choose which group he's gonna attack and kill. So if he attacks you, then Rachel, you run for it. At least half of you will survive. But Rachel, if he attacks you, Leah, you, you and your whole clan, y'all run for it. Y'all got a chance and go back to Laban. <laughs> so that's where you're at. Jacob said, we're all about to die. I'm about to die. All my plans, all my schemes, all my deception, everything has come to an end, and here I am alone. And that's where God met him and said, time to wrestle. And after they wrestled all night long, <clears throat> God looked at Jacob and said, what is your name? What is his name? My name is I'm the one that has been at war with the world since the day I came out of the womb. My name, I'm the one that it's always been up to me. My name is I am the one that always figures out how to turn things around into my favor. My name, I'm the clever one. My name, I'm the self-reliant one. My name is nobody can be trusted in this world except for me. My name is, it's always up to me and no one is as faithful to me as me. My name, I'm always prepared for the worst and I'll do whatever it takes to take care of me and mine. My name, my whole life has been deceiver. And here's what the Lord says, Jacob, you gotta put that down. And he says in verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. That's not your name anymore, brother. All that stuff that the world has done to you, all that stuff that you've done to you, all that stuff you've done to everybody else, all that shame, all that sin, all that brokenness, all that stuff that is heaped on you and it convinced you that you're not I need you to put it down because the only way you're gonna put it down, the only way you're gonna be able to pick up what I'm giving you is if you put down what you have. So put it down. Quit fighting to keep it. Here's the crazy thing. Do you know that when I, I'm just using unloved, but your name may be different than unloved. Are y'all tracking with me? If, if that's your name, do you think it's odd that you'll fight to not let go of that name? that even when people try to love you, you will fight them because you're convinced that's your name and you won't let it go? Is that odd? Do you, are y'all tracking? Is that, can we do that? Is it possible that if your name is failure, that's your name, that you will sabotage your success? Is it possible that if your name is poor, like that, that you'll feel guilty when you succeed? and you'll actually fight to keep that name. Is that possible? I don't see any nods. It's possible. In fact, it's not possible, it's probable. And God is saying, hey, stop, put it down, because I got a new name. And what is the name that God gave Jacob? It was Israel. The nation of Israel was named after Jacob. But it was the name that God gave to Jacob. And you know what Israel means? It, a lot of theologians have wrestled with this. 
because it talks in the text that you contended or you strive that Israel is the nation that strives with God and prevails. That, but some theologians believe this name actually meant Prince of God. Prince. The deceiver has now become a prince. And what if, so jump with me because we're out of time. Jump with me. What if when Jesus came, that Jesus didn't come just to forgive you of your sins, that that was just the first step, that the first step was that Christ went to the cross and he had to remove your spiritual death and he had to remove your sin and the curse of sin that prevailed over you. And so he cleaned us up at the cross. All my sins went with Christ to the cross and he paid for every one of them. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. The Father now has no more wrath for me. No wrath. All charges against me are not just dropped. They've been paid for. They have been paid for, and because they're paid for, there's no more need for payment anymore. No more penance from me. I can't add anything to what Christ has done for me. Christ has paid for all of it. I am free of that sin and the consequences in the heavenly kingdom for that sin. What if that was just the first step? Because in cleaning me up, now when he fills me up, he's giving me a new name. Like, listen to this. This is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Redeem us. Forgive us. We are forgiven. Redeem means that it's a slave auction idea that we are slaves and that, that someone came in and actually purchased us. And when they purchased us, we stepped down and we stepped out of slavery into the certificate of freedom. That's what the word redeem means. He says that the Son of Man came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, and this is, look at this, this is it, forgiven so that we can step into what? Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you may no longer be a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Get these names. And this is really hard, because if you spent your whole life living like a slave, if, that, if that's your whole identity, and you came from families of slaves, and someone says, now you're free, go live free, you have no idea what that means because you've spent your whole life living like a slave. What does it mean to live free? What does it mean to have that word erased? I don't know to live like that. This is what he says. This is what it looks like. My Holy Spirit has been put in your heart and cries out, Abba, Father, day and night. Why? Because a slave doesn't know how to say Father. So the Holy Spirit is teaching us that your sons, your daughters, and you're more than that. You're also heirs. That's what it says right here, that you're an heir through God. And what does it mean to be an heir? Well, let me tell you. Oh, we're not going to have time. I'm sorry. When Jacob wrestled with God, and God said, put down that name, Jacob, now pick up the name Israel. And he got up, and we could talk about the, the limp, because he limped the rest of his life. God said, I've got to break your self-reliance. And if we had time, Andy could come up and tell us about why your core is essential to every part of exercise and workout, right? Andy, is the core valuable? God took away Jacob's core. He just did it. He said, now you got to rely on something other than that, and I'm going to give you a new name. Do you know what the next thing he did? And if you listen to last week's sermon, this was significant. He 
he humbly walked before everybody to Esau. Esau showed up with his 400 brothers and friends and killers. And he walked, and seven times he bowed. I think seven times he fell. And he got back up. And he fell. And he got back up. And Esau is standing there waiting for him. And what do you think happened? That when he got in front of Esau, Esau fell upon him. It says it fell upon his neck and kissed him. And they wept. The first thing that happened in Jacob's life when he took on a new name is he put down his sword and he made himself available to grace. Not just with God, but with other people. And what happens when we're an heir? Then we wear names like chosen, child of God, new creation. That is your name. Loved, gifted, temple of the Holy Spirit. The name of accepted, forgiven, strong, unique, created for a purpose, treasured, powerful, not alone, son and daughter. Do you know in Ephesians 4, it says, hey, would you live your life in such a way to not grieve the Holy Spirit? For the longest time, I thought grieving the Holy Spirit was when I sinned, when I cussed too much or had two glasses of wine at dinner. The Holy Spirit was weeping somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's just sad. He's weeping all the time. It's really sad. But if you go read the chapter, you realize that what he's, he's not weeping over my sin. Those things were dealt with at the cross. What he's weeping is knowing that every time I choose to live a life of sin, what I'm doing is putting down my name because I have to put down my name every time I go and pick up hatred, every time I go pick up a lie because I have to lie to myself before I ever lie to you. So what happens when we begin to come to know our name? And I'll wrap it up with this. So Esau kissed him and Jacob and Esau said, okay, Jacob, jump on your camel. Let's go, man. We're going we're gonna to race ahead of everybody. We're going to get the party going. We're going to plan this whole thing. It's going to be great, man. I got tents and comfort. You're just going to love it. And Jacob, who had spent his whole life living unloved and for himself, said something incredibly out of character with Jacob, but incredibly in character with Israel. He said, you go ahead. You go ahead because I'll lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children. Look what he did. He said, hey, Esau, you go. For the first time in his life, he looked back and saw these children and said, you know what? I'll walk here. Success, the world, everything that he was chasing after completely changed. And for the first time in his life, he saw other people more important than himself. So I don't know if you're a fan or if you even know of Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen is a guy who's, who wrote a bunch of books in his lifetime. And The Life of the Beloved is one of my favorite books. It's really been a prayer guide for me for years. And, um, but he was a Catholic priest who had worked at Harvard and was just ascending the ladder of unbelievable fame and glory. His books were selling like crazy. Everybody wanted him to come speak. He had, you know, got tenure at Harvard and... He was just the man. And his friends came to him and said, yo, man, who are you? And that journey actually led him to leave Harvard 
and he went and spent the rest of his life living at a home for people with learning disabilities. He became the director of La Arche, where people could not ascend to his intellectual prowess they could at Harvard, but all they could do was just love him, and all he could do was love them. Let me read for you a statement that he wrote after he took on a new name. Over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our lives is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive qualities often come from the way they are part of the most, their much larger temptation of self-rejection. When we've come to believe in the voice that calls us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As, as soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I'm rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody. My dark side says, I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our very existence. So I'm done with this question. What's your name? Would you let the Lord pry it out of your hands? Because you got a grip on it. Would you let it pry it, and would you receive the new name? His beloved. So, Father, I pray for my friends now. Uh, they haven't had the benefit of wrestling with this for the last seven days, as I have, and it's a new idea to them to um, hear what name has driven them, what name has hurt them, what name has cursed them what name they have tried to unprove or what name they've spent their life proving. I pray for them now, Father, that, that you wouldn't overcomplicate this. You didn't with Jacob. You just simply said, your name is now Israel. And I just pray that right now that we would receive the name that you're giving us as your beloved, sons and daughters, heirs to the kingdom of God.